0: Hello, church. We are in the series, Why Bother?, where we're talking all about the church and really talking about the fact that no matter how great you are, no matter how much you've got your life put together, you aren't as good without the gathering. That the church is not just simply something that, that we do. It's not just something that we think about. It's not just like an extra credit thing. It's actually this imperative gathering of those who are following Jesus. You aren't as good without the gathering. And so each week we've been looking at why bother doing something that we do within church life and, and seeing what scripture has to say about it. Now, one of the things that is, for me, is important for, to say is that I grew up with the church. So I grew up from my earliest memory. I, my parents were dragging me to church. And back then, I remember them like getting me dressed and, you know, into nice clothes. I fought it tooth and nail. It was awful. But I remember all through the 80s, like getting ready for church. And, and when you think back to your childhood growing up, Those early memories matter. I mean, they're significant. I remember growing up as a kid going to church in the 80s. I remember uh, just life in the 80s. I remember at this time of school, as far as the school year getting started off, I remember what that felt like back in the 80s. And and if you grew up in the 80s, you're familiar with this. This was something that every kid had to have in the 80s, and that was a trapper keeper. Uh, Trapper keepers were intended to keep you organized. It had notebooks, it had a place for your pens. And again, it was trying to keep you in some way, shape, or form from just being as disorganized as a kid typically would be. And mine failed, it it failed that every single time. I was still just as disorganized, but it was cool because I was able to write stuff on the outside, usually with whiteout, that was kind of fun. And I stopped carrying a Trapper Keeper right around like probably fourth grade. I think that was the end of me carrying a trapper keeper. Um, and didn't really think about it again until I was emerging out of college and starting to work at Mission Bible Church. Um, When I started working at NBC, I I had this Bible, this NIV study Bible. It was a good-sized Bible. And so I needed a Bible cover for it, or at least I thought I did, because I was thinking back to how— trapper keepers intended to keep me organized. Maybe this Bible cover could do the same. And it looked just like this. It was like green, but it wasn't tan, but it was just the exact same model. I thought it looked so cool. It looked like it was army, had a military vibe. It also was supposed to keep you organized with your notes and pens. And just like my trapper keeper, it was a mess. It was not organized. But one of the things I did on it was I looked at the pen case right here on the left-hand side of the cover. And what I did was I took a Sharpie and I wrote these initials. I wrote the initials. I-C-M-D-T. So that every time I pick up my Bible, I would see the initials I-C-M-D-T. Every time I would teach, I would would grab my Bible. And not only me, anyone else in the room would see I-C-M-D-T. When I was doing a Bible study or I was going to camp with the students, they would see, I would see, whenever I had my Bible, I-C-M-D-T. And it was significant because I never wanted to forget what happened to me growing up. I never wanted to forget the people that God actually used to shape me. If I'm going to be in ministry shaping other people as a youth pastor, I wanted to never ever forget these people. These people were Idora. Idora was was this old lady who taught Sunday school. And she was so cool. Because even though I, I don't even know how old she was. I mean, she, maybe she was 33 years old. But she really looked like she was 90. But she was ancient to me when I was in like first, second, third, and fourth grade. But she taught the Bible with such passion and creativity. I don't know if you've ever had, like if you grew up in church land, if you had a teacher like that, but that was Idora for me. And so Idora was the first initial on there. There was Chet, who even though I was a kid, I remember seeing this guy who was a youth pastor who loved Jesus, and, and he he was just full of life and joy. And then there was there was Mary Eason. And Mary Easton was someone who again taught me that I how to study the Bible and showed me what it looked like to underline Scripture? Mary Easton had to be one of those initials. There was Dan Charlin. Dan was someone who worked with our youth group as, as a junior hire, and he was like early 30s. And he showed me what it looked like to be a young dad and husband who just became a Christian a couple years before, and he was full of the joy of God. And I remember just thinking, man, that's so cool. Unlike me, he didn't grow up in the church like I did, and he, but he's just drinking in the gospel and it was so awesome for me to see. There was another volunteer named Tim. Tim was a volunteer that was cooler than anyone I ever knew. And I thought, what in the world is this guy doing hanging out with us dorks that are junior hires? He has much better things to do with his time. But Tim loved Jesus and he showed his love for Jesus by investing in us junior hires week after week. And I remember thinking, this is so cool. I wish I could be like Tim one day to somebody. Chances are, if you spent any amount of time growing in your faith through the church, that at least half of the people that you would write down on your Bible cover, if you did just like what I did, at least half of them would be volunteers. Most of these people were not paid by the church. There were people that just showed up week after week after week. So this week when we're talking about why bother with regard to church stuff, why bother like volunteering? What's the point? I mean, like, there's got to be someone more qualified than us to do the work, right? There's got to be someone who's got more time. I mean, we've got a crazy schedule. The kids are going this way or that. You know what? I just, I'm I'm kind of an introvert. Maybe this isn't my deal. Why bother volunteering? And actually, we're going to be more specific because it's not just volunteering. Volunteering almost gives us a sense. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I want to be a good person. But in the Bible, we see it through the lens of service. Why bother serving? Why bother investing your time in the local church? Now, one of the key places that we see as far as focusing in on what a church means when it's talking about serving within the local church is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to pinpoint it right down to one verse. And the verse says this, now you are the body of Christ. He's writing to a group of Christians in, in, the, in this, this city named Corinth. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You have a part. And the whole chapter is worth worthy of studying. We're gonna get to a little bit more, but keep your Bibles open there. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is in fact a part of it. When you're connected, when Paul's communicating that when you're connected with Christ, that all of a sudden it's not just this spectator sport anymore. In fact, one of the key things I want you to remember today is that Christianity and the church are not spectator sports Paul is coming from a Jewish context where people would show up to a synagogue and the rabbi would teach from the scriptures and you would take it in and you would go home. That was the long and the short of it. And now he's talking about the church being something else. It's not just some place where you go up to get spiritually fed. It's better than that. And it's actually better than that because it's communicating a story and this is the story that it's communicating. First off, it's communicating when we serve, it's communicating the story of who God is. Specifically through your act as a Christian of serving, you're communicating, you're telling with your life the story of who God is. We see that right there at the beginning of verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Now this is important. Paul really latches on to this phrase, this nickname for the church. Now what Paul didn't get a chance to do is something that you and I never had a chance to do either. And that was walk and talk with Jesus, the bodily Jesus. The disciples had that opportunity. I haven't. I, I never had that opportunity. Jesus, the disciples could like hang out with Jesus. They could push Jesus. They could eat with Jesus. They could camp with Jesus. They could listen to Jesus as he's teaching. They could watch as Jesus saw someone who had a physical need or some type of a spiritual need, and he saw the need, and he met it, supernaturally so. And they got a chance to watch as Jesus would go up to people that no one else would want to come close to. And he actually wouldn't stay distant. He came close. And, he, and all along, they're starting to pick up on the fact that, you know what? We're this guy's disciple. That means that he's expecting us to act accordingly. But, I mean, honestly, we don't really have to do that all that much because we've got Jesus. He's the son of God. The son of God doesn't die. He's going to be able to do this forever. We're just going to be able to ride his coattails all the way through. And then Jesus dies. He dies on the cross and they watch it and their faith gets decimated. And then he rises from the grave and their faith is restored. And their hope that they can continue walking with Jesus, watching him serve other people is restored until Jesus says, I'm going. Now this is something that he told them before the crucifixion, but now they're starting to get it. His body was going to go and be with the father in heaven. But he says that it's gonna be to their benefit which it must have seemed ridiculous to them. But he says it's to your benefit because he was going to give the Holy Spirit. God himself was going to not just be able to walk around with them or walk away from them. God himself was going to indwell each one of them. And Paul says in chapter 12 that that same Holy Spirit, he is the one who actually gives us gifts to follow the example of Jesus and serve those around us. That we would be the ones who would see needs and supernaturally meet them. That we would have availability to position ourselves close to people that other people are far off from. And when we do that, we're telling the story of who God is. This is a God who would actually want to engage people like you and me. That that he would actually want to utilize. That he's not just gonna simply do the work. He's not gonna simply stand up front and be the teacher for everyone. He was going to empower us to do the work within the church. And that is mind-blowing. That this is the opposite of what we see within deism. Um, some of the founding fathers actually bought the idea that there was such a thing as a God, but they believed that the God w- that was actually out there was more of a deistic perspective of God. A God who created everything, but then walked away. And so the idea of God, the God of the Bible, at least the God of the New Testament with Jesus, who engaged us with something that was a bridge too far for many of them. Paul's chapter 12 is saying that if you want people to actually believe the story of who God is, one of the ways that you do that is recognizing that we don't have the body of Christ physically walking around with us. That went back to be with the Father. We'll see Him one day. But until then, we now are the body of Christ. We are the ones who are physically walking around other people who are in need and serving them. And one of the focal point places where we do that is the church. And when we do, we're telling the story of who God is. But not just who God is, of who we are. we are. When we serve, we're telling the story of who we are as well because this God who wants to engage humanity isn't just, human, isn't just engaging the best of the best. He's actually engaging each one of us. One of the things that we do as humans is we judge people We judge people based on their performance. We judge people based on their training and their expertise. We judge people based on their speed. We judge people based on their looks and their athletic prowess. We have tons of criteria of how we judge people based upon what we're looking to do. But one of the things that Paul makes a huge point of in this passage is this. Each one of you is invaluable. There's not one who's more valuable than the other. When we are serving within the local church, whether you're serving someone in the nursery or you're serving someone in junior high ministry, you're preaching on stage or you're handing someone a cup of coffee, we all have a role within the body of Christ to utilize our availability and our giftedness to serve other people. And that tells ourselves that we have purpose and we, that we are called into something that we have a unique role to do. This is something that Paul elaborates on actually leading up to this passage. He says this earlier on in 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Paul is being ridiculous here for, on purpose so that people would say, well, of course. He continues. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And he closes it by saying, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. We come from, a, the people that Paul is talking to came from a, religious, different, a diverse set of religious backdrops. They weren't Christians before this. Now they are. They came from a, a diverse set of, of skill sets, but now they're using them together. One of the things I absolutely love about watching folks within our church is seeing people who aren't all Bible teachers, who aren't all people who have great hospitality, who are not all people who are able to work in the nursery— Utilizing their own gifting in the way that God has gifted them and impassioned them, even if it's being available just to, to greet people and hand out programs. It's amazing to watch and see people mesh together for the unifying purposes. In spite of our diversity, in spite of our differences, He brings us together. There are many parts, but one body. And you know whose genius idea, idea that was? It was God's. And what does that tell a story greater of? You and me. We have a vital role. You, you have a vital role. Are you fleshing that out right now? So when we serve, we're telling a story of who God is. So the world has a better picture of this amazing God who engages humanity to do this work to be the body of Christ. We have a, a greater story of who we are that he actually would use broken people like you and me. And he fills the Bible with examples of people that are not the best of the best, the perfect of the perfect. He, he showcases the fact that even Jesus called 12 people who were in some way, shape, or form outcasts, or they should never have worked together to show the whole world what he can do when he brings people together. But in addition to that, we would also tell this story. We tell the story of who the church is. When you serve, you tell the story of who the church is. Now you're a part of the body of Christ and each one of you is a part, pardon me, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are a participant in it. You're not a spectator. Again, Christianity and the church, not a spectator sport. This is a place where you step up and you step in to active duty. If you've been a Christian and you've been at church at when, back when we actually would gather in a building and you were like spectating week after week after week, and after a while you started saying, man, there's got to be more than this. Maybe, maybe church is not my thing. Perhaps it was because you were doing the consumer thing, but you weren't being an active participant. He's called you to have a role and the role is more than bench warming. The role is to step in to the story, the story that he's telling, the story that that it gets handed down from one generation to the next, which of course brings us to Hamilton. Um, Hamilton was a play that was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and it, it debuted in January of 2015 and I never saw it. I'm totally late to the whole Hamilton game. Some of you saw it in the theater. If that's you, Woo, good for you. I mean, it was something that I never did. My sister did, not once, not twice. I think she's seen like four times in the theater. That sounds incredibly expensive. And I remember being really judgmental about like, how in the world do you pay so much money to go and see a production over and over and over again? I'm never gonna do that. But then all of a sudden I heard something that on July 3rd of this year, Hamilton was the production that was made into a movie, still stage production was gonna come to Disney+. And I got stoked about that because finally I could see this thing that everyone seemed to know about or everyone seemed to talk about. And it wasn't just me. Disney Plus's subscription went up 74% exclusively because of the play Hamilton. It's, it's the story that Lin-Manuel um, Miranda tells of this forgotten forefather, the one who we all know is killed by Aaron Burr, but that's about all we know. And all of a sudden he starts to pack in this storyline and the fact that Alexander Hamilton was desperate that he would not be forgotten, that he would have a legacy, that we have one shot to be able to communicate to the world and make a change, to make a difference, and that he was going to take his shot, that he was going to live that out. And one of the great parts of the play, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you have General George Washington who's telling him one of the things that he's learned in life is that you, can't, you have zero control of your legacy. You, you don't know who l- wins. You don't know who lives and who dies or who tells your story. You don't have that privilege to be able to know who's going to tell your story. And so it's almost as if Miranda, in the telling of, this, of Alexander Hamilton's story in this production, is doing just that. He's making sure that that legacy is not forgotten, that it gets handed down now, finally, to the next generation and generation upon generation. You know, one of the things that those early disciples had to wonder is, is this message going to continue on? Jesus is no longer bodily with us. We are the body of Christ, but we are just us. We're not God. How in the world could this continue on? And the crazy thing is, is that God in restoring and and making sure that his legacy goes on and the story and the message of, of what he's done of his love go on, he didn't write a play to do that. He didn't even write a book to do that. He actually entered into the story through Christ. Jesus enters into the storyline of history and he meets his enemies and he dies for them on the cross and then he rises again. And before he leaves, he gives us the Holy Spirit to be the agent within us to equip us to serve one another just like he did. One of the great things that we see in that is that, again, God didn't need a play to extend his legacy. And he didn't solely use a book to accomplish it. What did he use? You. He chose to use you as someone who embodied the sacrificial suffering servant that Jesus was described as being in you and me when we utilize the giftings God has given us within the local church and extend it out. And when we do that, on small levels and great levels, whether we're in the nursery or we are, we're handing out programs or we're greeting people or we're teaching a Bible study or we're leading worship, we're in the band or we're behind a screen telling a video camera where to go. When we're doing that, we are adding a page to the legacy that gets told by the next generation. I can't tell you how grateful I am for the fact that these people did that for me. They didn't know what they were accomplishing. They were just being obedient to God to do a small thing. And collectively, they made such a shaping impact on me that I will never, ever be the same. They had no idea. But the truth is, is that if it wasn't for them, I would not be a pastor today. And I certainly would not be a pastor in Illinois in Minooka today. I'm grateful to them that they made that, that, that impact on me. What are you currently doing within the local church that's doing that for the next generation? In what way, shape or form are you pulling that off? Last fall, um, we started looking forward to 2020 and we had no idea what a dumpster fire 2020 would be, but we did know one thing. God was calling us to do something in 2020 and he was calling us to launch a campus a new church, that we would be one church in two locations, but we knew that we needed people to step up and volunteer. People who would say, I'm gonna step into service. People who've been serving here at Manuka and people who had never served before, people of all ages, different age groups, teenagers, everything, that they were going to step up into their faith by stepping out and and actually signing up. And so what people did was they did just that. They signed up for different ministries, whether it was production or nursery or the kids ministry on Sunday mornings, being a part of the worship team. And they they wrote down their name and they put it on this massive structure we had in the atrium just to say, I'm signing up to be a part of this in Manuka or I'm signing up to be a part of this on the Morris team. And the coolest thing about that is, as we saw that get populated more and more, we got excited and we started looking forward to what in the world will fall 2020 look like. Well, here's the thing. Due to COVID and everything else, we're now in a place where we're not just thinking about launching one campus. We're thinking about launching two. We are launching a campus in Manuka, And we're launching a campus in Morris. And we need people to serve. We asked people last fall to pray about stepping out in faith by leaving Manuka and going to Morris. Whether they were residents of Morris, close to that, or just people who are from Shorewood or Braidwood or wherever else, but said, I want that to be my church that I serve in. And to pray about that, step into that. I wanna encourage you. If you're someone still praying about that, Go to missionbible.church French slash serve and sign up to be part of one of their teams. But we realize that if we're gonna be sending out all these amazing people to Morris to that campus, we need people here to step up in their faith and to actually find themselves serving here at this campus And I want to encourage you to go to missionbible.church front slash serve. If you're like, look, I've never really volunteered or I never volunteered at this church. I've never served in any way, shape, or form. But now I'm going to step into that at one of those two locations. If you signed up last year, you already put your name down, you put it up on the board, and you know you did that, you don't need to do this again. We're going to contact you. We're going to be reaching out to you. However, if you didn't or you can't remember if you did or not, I want you to go to missionbible.church front serve one more time and sign up for one of those ministries at one of the two locations. You are about to step into the very thing that continues the story that Jesus called you to live out and flesh out, that Paul described as something that each one of you has a part in. If you haven't been playing your part yet, this is the time. This is your opportunity and we need you. As we launch two campuses, Go to missionbible.church front slash serve and step into that in a way that you're never, ever going to regret. Let me pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for the fact that, again, you promised us that your church was going to carry on and continue. That you weren't going to simply do the work for us, that you were going to empower us to do the work for you. Lord, a lot of us feel disqualified or we don't feel like we're talented enough But I pray that you give us the boldness and the encouragement to realize that you call all of us, regardless of whether we're introverted or extroverted, whether we're talented or we feel like we have zero talent. Lord, if we have availability, if we have time, you will use us. You will use a servant heart that you've crafted in us to reflect your servant heart. Lord, we're also asking that as we do this, God, and as we're launching these two campuses, that you'll bless each one of those launches. Lord, this year has been so crazy. We don't know what the future holds. And so we're just walking with you day by day. But Lord, I pray that you make each one of these campuses launch strong and that those who are in the darkness now, God, who don't know you, they've never experienced the goodness of you, Jesus, that in these volunteers plugging into the church in some way, shape, or form, that they will be a part of that story being continued on. I will give you thanks for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I encourage you to go to that website, and now we're going to have Marco close us out.